0: 20 years ago, uh, we celebrated our family celebrated our very first Christmas in Hamilton. 20 years ago, and we were a family of seven. And so, take a look at the family. This is us. This is us 20 years ago on this day. And um, so, if you see this guy on the end, that's Price. Is he still here? Price was he was drumming this morning. He was drumming there, and he has got. A, he's like, obviously loves his brother Hans, and Hans is normally in power zone, and there's Samuel, and he's, he's at work, Samuel there, and Shawnee, our eldest daughter. And, and I'm holding all She was one in that photo. We celebrated her 21st last month. Yeah, yeah. It's amazing what happens. And look, you're probably looking at me he goes, wow, you look exactly the same. Yeah, yeah. It's amazing what Photoshop does, eh? You know, you know. <laughs> and um, Poodle's taking the photo, because this is back in the days before phones. You didn't have selfies back then. Man, you were trying to get a f- you're trying to selfie with your camera, it just doesn't work. And, there, and that's her there. But, uh, but, this is, but you know, after 20 years, our tribe has grown. And just like us, just like you, Elliot, we celebrated our Christmas yesterday. Oh, yeah. And uh, we were blessed. It didn't even rain where we were. We were totally blessed. We had a great time. But our tribe has grown in 20 years. So we went from seven of us to a family of 21 from our family. So here's, this is us yesterday. 20, you know, so we went from our first Christmas, just the seven of us, to 21 of us in, in the photo. And we had five kids, we added two more, and, um, and grandchildren and so forth. So this is us. And this Portal, she's in the shot. There you go, because we've got, she can take photos now. There, there we go. That's us. But this is what we do as family, right? We multiply. We multiply. And this, we can go to the Promised King um, slide there. Here we go. Sure you don't want to be looking at us or all the service so but this but this is what we do right uh, We multiply we we grow and we, we keep moving. but sometimes when you turn on the news, I don't know about you, but every time you turn on the news, it seems like the world is on fire seriously like p- people being murdered, people robberies and, and all sorts of things happen. The, um, the world seems to be wars are happening everywhere, and then you've got this climate change and all these things, and, and young people worried that the, the, um, that the world is, is not going to be around because it's our fault. <laughs> well, this is my conversation with my daughter that's kind of coming out. And, and, and you kind of think, oh my goodness, what kind of world are we leaving our children? And maybe you're here and you don't even have kids, and you're like you're thinking to yourself, well, w- w- is there anything else? And it can seem like there's no hope. The news certainly tells us there's no hope, but this is why we have Christmas. This is why we celebrate Christmas, because there is hope. In the darkness, in the turmoil, in the struggle, there is always hope. And this is the story of the Bible. This is why the Bible is important. In fact, when we open up Scripture, it's a a story of humanity right from page one. Page one, God creates Adam and Eve, creates humanity, places them in a garden. And basically their job description is to be the image of God. We are made to image God, to reflect His goodness to those around us. We—that's we, what we, we're the reflectors of who God is. I and mean, so he said, "Places Adam and Eve in the garden, and he look, you can you can trust and in, in, you can trust in me and my definition of what's good and evil, or you can trust in yourself.' And what do humanity do? How well do we do? Has if if anybody heard of Adam and Eve? You know, they seize the opportunity." to redefine good and evil for themselves, and they took bite of the fruit. So we're not going to trust God. We're going to trust in ourselves. And humanity fail. And we fail. And we find ourselves in sin. And we find ourselves away from God. Not because of what God did. It's because we don't trust God. Because who I trust is me. And I don't trust anyone else. But God doesn't give up on humanity. Right in the garden, God enacts a plan and He speaks to the snake. And He says to the snake in Genesis chapter 3, verse 15, that that snake, that, 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 that supernatural creature that deceived humanity, and He speaks to the snake and, he's, and He said in Genesis 3, verse 15, and I will put enmity, I will put hostility between you and the woman and between your offspring and hers. And in Hebrew, it's the word seed, between your seed and her seed. And He will crush your head and you will strike his heel. And it's like, what does that even mean? Like, who is this promised seed? That even though humanity turns their back on God, God never turns his back on you. And he enacts a plan of redemption. And then we get to Genesis chapter 11, and and humanity turns their back on God again. If you know the story, it's 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 the Tower of Babel, where humanity says to God, you know what? We're going to do the opposite of what you told us to do. And we're going to do, do it our way. And we're going to build our own tower. And, and it's kind of like God giving, it's kind of like humanity giving God the middle finger. So we don't need you. We turn our backs on God. Does God turn his back on us? No, he doesn't. When we get to the next chapter in chapter 12. What does God do? He then, he then calls to Abraham says, Abraham, through your family. And Abraham's family becomes the children of Israel, the nation of Israel. He said, so Abraham, through your family, through your family will, will bring blessing to the nations. So God enacts a plan of redemption for humanity through Israel, through Abraham and Israel through your children. And Israel finds themselves in captivity in Egypt. So God saves them, and He takes them to Mount Sinai, makes a covenant with them, like a marriage, and, and saying, I will be your God and you'll be my people. And they say that you'll be a nation of priests. What's the job of a priest? The job of a priest is to, is to is the mediator between God and the people and the people to God. said, so You'll be a national priest. That you'll represent me to all the nations. That, that you'll live in such a way that all the other nations say, we want, we want your God to be our God. This was Israel's, this, is, this was their, 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 what they're supposed to do. But how well does Israel do when we read the narratives in Scripture? And when we begin to read the narrative in Scripture, Israel failed as well. Humanity failed in the garden. God calls the nation of Israel and they fail. So then God selects a line within the tribes of Israel, a kingly line. And he speaks to a man by the name of King David in 2 Samuel chapter 7. And he says, your house and your kingdom will continue forever. Because God's all hope God never gives up. And that, that a king will rise. And this king will, be, will, will come in such a way that the nations of the world will come and put their trust in him. So now this promised seed is the promised king. Is the promised king. Now when we look at King David's life, if you're familiar with the Old Testament, how well do, does the line of David do? The line of David, you know, David, you know, the kings, their, their job was to, to lead the people in the obedience of Scripture. To worship Yahweh our Redeemer. How well do they do? They fail as well. Instead of leading um, people to God, they lead people away from God and begin worshipping other gods. They fail as well. And, th- and because of that, they find themselves in, in exile in the land of Babylon. Away from everything. And they find themselves that they've lost all hope. But the prophets begin to speak of a new hope that is coming. If you're looking for the title of today's message, it is a new hope. A new hope. They begin to speak of this, and the prophet Isaiah, chapter 7, verse 14. We looked at this last week. Therefore, the Lord Himself, therefore Yahweh Himself, will give you a son. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and you shall call his name Emmanuel. Emmanuel. God is with us. God is with us. So, even through Israel's failure, God has not given up on him. God, and He promises. That through this promised seed will come through the line through Abraham and through the line of King David and he will bring salvation to the world. But somehow he's this God with us. What does it even mean that this child's going to be born of a virgin and this child is going to be God with us? What does it even mean? And so as we read Scripture, if you read if you read right through, I love reading the Old Testament. I'm in the, I'm in the, I'm in Isaiah right now. But when you read the Old Testament, it's kind of like, you see, it's about humanity. Humanity fails, So God calls Israel. Israel fails. So God calls this line King David's line. They fail. And now there's this promised king of a child to be born from a virgin. And he'll be called God with us. What does it even mean? And then the story ends. When you read Isaiah, this child is never born. This promise, this promised seed, this promised seed is the promised king, and this promised king is going to be born of a virgin, and he's God with us. It's not even fulfilled. It's kind of like it's left dangling. It's it's like the Old Testament has no ending. It's unfulfilled. You know, is anybody who's a big fan of the movie Empire Strikes Back? It's a great movie, one of the greatest movies ever made. Love that movie, Empire Strikes Back. Can you imagine? Imagine when they they made Empire Strikes Back, they decided not to make any other Star Wars movie after that. Imagine if it just ended there. There's only two movies, A New Hope, Star Wars, and then Empire Strikes Back. Imagine if it ended there. You'll be like, what? Luke Skywalker had his hand chopped off? He didn't even win. Han Solo got carbonated? What's going on? And Darth Vader is Luke's father? Oh, my goodness. Sorry if there was any spoiler alerts if you haven't seen the movie. Oh, what's going on? Imagine if the movie never ended. I mean, if it ended there, you'd be like, what's, what, what's the point? Well, that's kind of how the, the Old Testament, it just ended. Yeah, just ended. And there's like this 400 years silence from when the last book in the Old Testament is written to the birth of Christ. 400 years of silence, unfulfilled prophecy. And then the New Testament, the writers begin to pen and write Matthew chapter 1, verse 1. Matthew begins to write this, and he says this in Matthew 1, verse 1. This is the genealogy of Jesus, the Messiah. So who is, who is this Jesus? He's the son of David. He's the son of Abraham. Matthew's making, making a claim that, that this Jesus, he is the faithful Israelite. He is of the line of Abraham. He is of the line of David. But unlike them, this faithful Israelite is not going to fail. And then you begin to see his genealogy and you can see his line going right back to Abraham. And then we pick up the story in Matthew chapter 1, verse 18. It's the Christmas story. It's the Christmas story. This is what it says. This is how the birth of Jesus the Messiah came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph. But before they came together, she was found... To be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. It's really interesting how engagements work in, in um, the traditional um, ancient Israel. So what will happen is that for, for marriages to come together, it's not a celebration of a man and woman come together. It's not their marriage. It's actually the marriage of the, of the parents. Because it's about families. Families decide who is going to marry who. So when they're about 10 years of age then they make an agreement with another family and they say, you know what? Um, my son will be betrothed trove to your daughter, and they make an agreement. And when it comes to the announcement of the engagement, um, when they're about in their late teens, it's kind of like a done deal. This makes this, this pup, everyone's coming, there's a celebration, it's like they're already married. And then for about a year, uh, a year later, the, 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 the groom is getting himself ready, and then she will come and, and live with, with him, and then they'll consummate the marriage. And that's how it's like, it's not like our engagement we have here. So now, during this process, the engagement has happened. Everyone, Joseph is marrying Mary. Yeah, celebration going on. And before before the year's up, Mary comes to Joseph and says, I'm pregnant. Can you imagine what's going through Joseph's mind? And he goes, What? Who? The Holy Spirit. Oh, of course it's the Holy Spirit. That's normal. Can you imagine what, it's a small town. Can you imagine what everyone's thinking? You know, there's this whispers. Ah, she says it's the Holy Spirit. Do you think anyone believed her? Do you think Joseph believed her? Obviously he didn't because this is what it says in verse 19. Because Joseph, her husband, was faithful to the law, because according to the law, she should be stoned to death. That's the law. And yet did not want to expose her to public disgrace, meaning he doesn't want her to die. Because Joseph is a good man. Doesn't want her to die. He had in mind to divorce her quietly. Divorce her? I thought they just engaged. Well, when you're engaged, you're married. But after he had considered to, um, this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, so now he's going to sleep, and the angel of the Lord appears to Joseph and says, Joseph, son of David. Oh, there's that line of David. Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife. Don't be afraid. Why is he afraid? Because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. Mary was telling the truth. This is a supernatural act that's happening here. The Holy Spirit has come upon her. It's like creation. Something out of nothing. She will give birth to a son and you are to give him the name. And this is where we expect to hear Emmanuel. Oh, is this, is this it? Is this, the, this is what we've been waiting for for 700 years. Is this the moment after 400 years of silence, the Emmanuel child is going to be born? Is Mary that virgin? And you shall give him the name Jesus. You go, huh? Jesus? Because he will save his people from their sins. You're like, Jesus? Why Jesus? Why not Emmanuel? And, and when you say Jesus, the name in Hebrew, it is actually spelled Yehoshua. Yehoshua. Is his name in Hebrews where we get Joshua. Yehoshua is his name. And then what happens through time at this, Yehoshua gets abbreviated because we love abbreviating names like Anthony is now Ants. Some of you think, oh, your name is Anthony? Yo, yo. Yeah, right? It now goes from Yehoshua to Yeshua. Yeshua. A shortened version of, of Jesus' name is Yeshua. Then and in Greek when they translate Yeshua into Greek and they use Greek letters, it now becomes Yesus. Yesus. And then, of course, English comes around and that Y gets turned into a J and you get the J sound and you get Jesus. And that's where we get the name Jesus. It's the English um, translation of Yehoshua. This is the name. Which is right. Yes. It is. His name, Jesus, Yehoshua, Yeshua, Yesus, Yesu, Ihu, Yes. So the meaning, the meaning of Yaheshua is Yahweh saves. This is what it means. The meaning of it, Yahweh saves. And if you don't know what this word Yahweh is, Yahweh is God's personal name that He revealed to Moses. He says, I am. I am the I am, Yahweh. I am the I way, I am the I am. It is the I am the, the I am that saves. It is Yahweh that saves. That's what it means. The Lord saves. She will give birth to a son, and you ought to give him the name Yahweh saves. And this is when you begin to, and then it goes on, because He will save the people from their sins. Then you go like, wait a minute, who saves? Is it Yahweh that's going to save the people from their sins? Or is it Yahweh saves, will save the people from their sins? Is it Yahweh or Yahweh saves? And the answer is yes. It's yes. This is the claim Matthew is making. It speaks of His destiny, of what He's destined to do, to save the people from their sins. Yahweh saves. Yahweh saves. Yahweh saves. And then what's he going to do? He's going to save the people from their sins. You're expected to say he'll save the world from their sins, but it doesn't. It says you'll save his people. Who's his people? The children of Abraham, Israel. He'll save Israel from their sins. And you're kind of like, well, what about the rest of us? <laughs> what about us? Remember that, that, that Israel was God's rescue plan for the world. But what happens when God's rescue plan needs rescuing? It's like the fire truck that's coming, um, coming to, to save you. All of a sudden, you find yourself in, in a ditch. Now, the fire truck needs saving. And what Matthew is claiming is that Jesus is going to save, he is saving Israel, and through saving Israel, will save the world to bring this rescue plan back on track. Because it's all about dealing with sin. Dealing with sin. Verse 22 All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel. Here it is. Here it is. Right? Here it is. Isaiah foresaw this 700 years before Jesus is born. Now now the second name of Jesus. Now we've got Yahweh saves, and now we've got God with us. And it asks the same kind of question. So which is it? Is it Yahweh saves, or is it God with us? And the answer is Exactly. Exactly. And welcome to claim number two that Matthew is making. The divine and the human coming together. That Jesus is fully God and fully human. He's 100, as, as Elliot said, 100% man and 100% God. He's not a demigod. He's not half a God and half, and, and half a human. He is fully man and fully God. If that doesn't make sense, it's because we're not the divine. I remember someone knocking on the door and, 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 and someone was... Had, I was only 18 years of age and asked me this question. And I was going, oh, they asked me, do you believe that, that, uh, that, that Jesus uh, is God in the fullness? And I said, yeah, I believe that. And he goes, no, no, how can that be? How can the Father and the Son be the same? Like oh, when I go home, I'm not the same as my son. And I was going, well, can God do anything? And he goes, yeah, God can do anything. Well, then can God be the Son and Him and be totally different? Can God then be 100% man? Because He can do anything. And he goes, yeah. I was like, well, there you go. Done. Done. <laughs> I, I, was, I, was, I remember answering this question. I, have no, I, have no, I knew nothing about God. That's the only logic I had. God can do anything. And we try to work it out. I don't know about you, but I, there's only so much I, can, I know about. And this is the claim that, that, that Matthew is making that Jesus is God in human form. This is the claim you make. This is his identity. What does it mean that God is with you? What it means is that that, that, that God, this God revealed in Jesus is not content to leave humanity as a failed project. God is not content to leave you in your sinful state. God is not content for you when you fail just to leave you, well, tough luck. But He loves you so much. He loves you just as you are, but He loves you too much for you to stay in your sinful state. And He does something about it. He becomes God with us. Verse 24. When Joseph woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord had commanded him and, and took Mary home as his wife. But this, this and normally that this is when they consummate the marriage, but he doesn't. But he did not consummate their marriage until she gave birth to a son. And they gave him the name Jesus. Jesus, Yehoshua, Yeshua, Yesu, Ihu, Jesus. So how is he going to save? How is he going to save? How is Jesus going to be God with us? What does this all mean? And this is leading up to the story of Jesus on the cross into the resurrection. It's all leading this way. And it's what God said to the snake saying that he will strike your head and you will strike his heel. That Jesus overcomes evil, the crushing of the head. How he overcame evil is to allow the seed of the serpent to strike his heel. And on the cross, he laid down his life to absorb your sin into his life, into his body. And on the cross, he died to set you free. So for Christians, God is not an abstract concept. He's not some abstract concept. He is not the big guy upstairs. He's not the man upstairs. Who is God? He is Jesus. How do I know God exists? Jesus. Jesus. Jesus is not some something happened in the past. He is our contemporary. Jesus is the hope of the world. So, what does this mean for us? It means that we need to be aware of our own sin. We need to recognize our sin. Recognize your sin. What does sin mean? Like you're sitting. There, what does sin even mean? Sin simply means to fail. Sin means to fail. Moral failure. It's not talking about why you fail or how you fail or anything else. It just simply means that I failed. See, the goal of a human being is to reflect God's goodness to those around us. And quite often we do a poor job of it and we fail. There's probably a whole bunch of you here saying, Well, you know, yes, I've screwed up, but I'm I'm not completely evil. I'm not a horrible person. But you know what's really interesting is that when we begin to examine our own life, and what's really interesting is that all of a sudden I start to minimize how screwed up I am. Like, actually, I'm, uh, yes, I'm screwed up, but, but we always give a reason why. The reason why I'm like this is because this happened in my life. The reason I did this is because this, we always got an excuse. We're really good at minimizing how bad I am. But you know what? We're really good of identifying how screwed up everyone else is. We're really good at looking at everyone else and going, wow, that person's really screwed up. Can't believe we're friends. Can't believe that. I even sit next to Elliot. We're so good at at getting the microscope and looking at everyone else. We don't see what's going on in our own life because we justify it. what the story of Jesus is asking us is to entertain something about ourselves, to recognize our need of a Savior. That I am in such dire need, that I'm in su- I need help along with all humanity, and that the rescue and the solution for the human problem can only come from outside of ourselves. Because we've tried to do this, We try to be good, we've tried good projects. Just look at our human history. How well did we go at trying to be good? Here's why the solution must come from outside of us. Because we've tried, we've tried honestly. No matter how good we try to be, we don't even live up to our own standards. How many times do we feel crushed when we did that thing again that we promised that it will never do, and we did it again. We can't even live up to our own standards, yet, let alone put other people up to some, some standards that we have. And we have all these social acts like, acts, remember the acts of random kindness? Remember that came out thing? Acts of random kindness. We just gotta go out there and be kind to people and put money in, 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 in uh, random st- strangers, put money in their car meters. Acts of random kindness. Give someone random flowers. Be, If we do that, the world will be a better place. Or or during the pandemic, it's be kind. Be kind. And look how kind we were during the pandemic. Or just be good people. Be good to people. Yeah, that's what we need to do. Get t-shirts, be good to people. And, and, And the whole idea around that is that we don't need God. Because if we just be good to people, it will solve the world's problems. That makes sense, doesn't it? Just be good. It's going to solve everyone's problems. If we're good to everyone... We don't need God. We don't need religion or any of that rubbish. All we need is to be good to people. The problem with that thinking is it's it's naive, very naive. Why do I say that? Why is that? Because it doesn't get to the heart of the problem. Firstly, I can choose to be good to people, but quite often I'm very selective of who I'm good to. I'm very selective. And if you're honest, you're very selective as well. How often do, are we selective? We are good. I'm going to be good to people. See someone on the street, whatever, and we walk past them. Why? Because I'm selecting. Because obviously, that person, they're going to use all their money for drugs. So I'm, I'm justifying why I need to be. You know, we justify. Really good. Really good stuff like that. And secondly, we're all a mixed bag of good and evil. Even the mafia boss who orders assassination will buy flowers for his mom on Mother's Day. We're just a mixed bag of good and evil. And we don't see it in ourselves. And simply telling us to be good to each other totally ignores the fact of the, conf- of the, the really complex conflict of what is good. Because millions of people die around the world because of good. This idea of what is good. See what's happening in Israel between Hamas and Israel. Both sides are doing what they're doing because they believe it is good. When Hamas invaded Israel on October the 7th, and they, and they purposely killed babies in their cot, killed children, women, you name it. Their motivation wasn't of hatred. Their motivation was because they were doing what they thought was good. And this is the problem. When we define what good is, what does good look like? My good is truth. My truth, right? You're not going to tell me what truth is. What does that sound like? The Garden of Eden. Where we decide what is good and evil in our own eyes. Simply telling each other to be good is like putting a band-aid on someone who's got a broken leg. Because we don't even acknowledge the, com- the complexity of the problem. That we need a savior outside of ourselves. And Matthew is putting forward Jesus as the only one whom our hope for the solution comes from. He's the only one to get us out of our mess. It's the only place where we can find it. Now you can reject it, you can accept it, or you can consider it. But what you can't do is ignore it. You can't ignore your fallen state. You can accept that I need someone outside of me. Because I've been trying to do this thing on my own and I've failed. But you can't ignore it. You can't ignore it. You can't justify it away. That's the meaning of the virgin birth. It's God becoming human. It's It's the divine and the human come together to save and to rescue. Who's going to save? Yahweh or this man Yahweh saves? And the answer is Yes, that Jesus is the promised seed, that He is the promised King, born of the Virgin. He is Yahweh saves, to save us from our sins because He is God with us. He loves you just as you are, but He loves you too much for you to stay in your sinful state. Jesus is the hope of the world. Come on, let us pray.